0: Welcome to the next episode of Becoming a Post-Growth Planner Challenges and Obstacles to Changing Roles and Practices I'm Christian Lamker, Assistant Professor for Sustainable Transformation at Regional Planning at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands and this morning, we do this recording in the morning I have Vincent Liege with me uh, zooming in from budapest uh, a real expert on degrowth in the french degrowth movement but also very active in budapest right now so vincent would
1: you like to introduce yourself briefly uh, hello christian uh, hello everybody thanks for inviting me for this podcast so my name is vincent or vincent Yeger. you pronounce my name very well in uh, the french accent which is not so easy so i um i, I have two uh, parallel lives somehow because uh uh, when I'm not in Budapest, I am more in trains, in a train station, in universities, in a research institute, in a, a political institution to um, our, to give talks about uh, uh, degrowth and uh, to try to lobby, uh, to open the debate on degrowth. And we'll speak more about what do I mean by degrowth. Uh, and when I am in Budapest, I'm more like experiencing in my everyday life what could be a degrowth uh, way of life. Uh, while uh, coordinating with some friends, uh, cooperative connecting together a local organic farm, uh, a bicycle shop where we uh, construct uh, cargo bikes, a uh, logistics center when we use a cargo bike to distribute uh, our lo- locally seasonal produce uh, vegetable, organic vegetable, and also we have different types of projects like we have to. Uh, urban gardens in uh, in budapest one based on uh, urban agroforestry another one based on permaculture and uh, a lot of uh, projects on uh, education on uh, research uh, and also a lot of uh, convivial activities which has been quite challenging in the last uh, one and a half year due to covid but uh, we hope that uh, we can go back on our good rhythm what we what we used to have before the covid arrived so uh, uh i am to to simplify am like a political activist a researcher publishing articles books and so on and also try to to be a practitioner and experience in my everyday life thank you how yeah, I, have, to...
0: I have your recent book here exploring degrowth a critical guide written together with anitra nelson uh, came out last year where you also explain that degrowth is simultaneously developing by debate and by action and it's good to see that you somehow do both. So I would propose first to focus a bit on the debate. Um, what would you summarize as the major lesson, the invitation that degrowth offers for uh, for cities, maybe even towards uh, urban and spatial
1: planners? So uh, degrowth is a very uh, uh, a large debate because it's uh, radically, so taking from the roots, uh, criticizing uh, the model of society we are living in, and the dominant imaginary we are all uh, all in. And uh, it's a radical critique to uh, growth. Uh, and when I speak about growth, I speak, of course, about economy growth. But uh, speaking about growth is also speaking about all these imaginaries, that uh, always uh, uh, more uh, means better. And uh, the dominant imaginary is really about that. Uh, and it's the same for the cities, the planners it's always about uh, uh, development it's always about uh, quicker bigger stronger more powerful uh it's always about uh, more and more connections between the large cities and uh etc. Cetera, et cetera so uh, uh is a uh, questioning uh culturally uh, whether it really makes sense uh, aren't we facing Physical and cultural limits to growth. So, of course, the physical limits to growth. Uh, unfortunately, it's maybe already too late. Uh, we start to um, to face it. I was listening to the news this morning, and uh, the world is literally burning all around the world. You have uh, huge fires, which are the consequences of uh, this model of society, which is attacking uh, um, biodiversity, which is attacking uh, uh, climate, uh, creating climate change, etc., etc. Uh, so we are already facing these physical limits to growth, which is the case for cities where uh, you reach a limit that you cannot extend indefinitely. You uh, you, you have physical limits to, to the construction you can do and so on. And uh, But what is very interesting that we connected it uh, with the cultural limits to growth. So it's not only that it's impossible to keep on going with the same model of society from a physical point of view or environmental energetic point of view, but um, we should question whether it really makes sense, whether this way of life to be like the hamster in the wheel, to keep on uh, uh, running quicker and quicker in the wheel without any mean, uh, is really something which uh, we would like to do. And uh, Degrowth is questioning our relationship with uh, nature, with our the time, with work, with our production, with care, with ecofeminism, with domination, with uh, a, a lot of topics and um, I think it's a very inspiring also for planners because we are in, a, I really believe, at the crossroads uh, of our civilization. The former civilization we've been uh, growing up is about to reach its limits. It's about to collapse. Maybe collapse has already started. It's going to be a long process. And it's time to question ourselves uh, uh, how to organize the transition and the transition to go where. And that's what DeGros is questioning. So radical critics to the dominant system to decolonize our imaginary and to be able to start to think about a democratic, serene uh, transition toward new models of society based on other type of values like conviviality, like uh, enjoyment of life or care.
0: Yeah, in your work you also talk about relocalizing the economy or about open and altruistic relocalization, focusing on what makes us human. Can you explain what this
1: means? It has a, definitely a spatial aspect in it. Yes, yeah, so we've been, we have been—we are now living in a world which is uh, totally absurd and uh, which is an uh, uh, ecological and energetical strategy. Everything is traveling quicker and quicker all around the world. It's what uh, we could see in the beginning of the confinement in the time of uh, this COVID-19 pandemics, where uh, we closed the borders. We started to realize that we are depending on a, a very... Uh, powerful but weak infrastructure like uh, it turned out that uh, in Europe 90% of the uh, active principles of medicines are not produced anymore in Europe so just for basic medicines we we depend on this very large uh, very large uh, infrastructure and so on uh, it's un- it's in- unsustainable from an energy and uh, environment point of view so we have to relocalize for these reasons, to uh, somehow rationalize. We should produce locally what can be produced locally. But I would say it's not the most important. I mean, that one is very obvious. Of course, we should do it because of that. But it's even more important that to relocalize our productions, to relocalize our economies, to relocalize our democracies and human interaction, etc. It's also an opportunity to uh, be conscious again about what is behind these illusion of freedom to consume. So nowadays, we are all, when you live in a large city like Budapest or any other large city in the world, you go to a supermarket, you go to a shop, you go to a restaurant, or you just uh, take your mobile phone and you order online whatsoever. And you do it because you don't see what uh, uh, what kind of banality of evil, to quote, Anna Arendt, is behind. What kind of uh, uh, barbarities is behind. So uh, behind this uh, illusion of freedom to consume, to buy stuff, you have human and nature exploitation. And to relocalize is to, um, uh, to face, again, what's the reality of our way of life. If you had uh, the mines of uh, cobalt in your garden, with children working in your garden to get the cobalt, uh, you would uh, rethink uh, using the devices that uh, I'm using now to talk to you. Uh, if uh, you had uh, uh, the impact of the chemical uh, chemical pollution of the clothes, what you buy in fast fashion uh, trends, what we can see all around the world and so on. And if you had it at, uh, at your, in, your, in your glass, in your water, and you couldn't drink your, your tap water anymore, you would rethink these things and so on. And I think it would be very important to reconnect the people, to reconnect ourselves to the reality of uh, What's really happening in the world, and um, and also to uh, reconstruct type of local solidarities. So that's the story about relocalization, and we really insist on open relocalization. Uh, to uh, uh, to be very clear, that it's not about uh, uh, protect ourselves against uh, the foreigner, the stranger. It's not about the Ch- against the Chinese. It's not against the refugees. On the contrary, it's about solidarity. So it should be done in connection with other territories, because if we stop consuming type of products which are produced far away, we will create some chaos, economic chaos for the people who are producing our product. So it should be somehow planned, it should be somehow done in a consultation, in dialogue, um, in solidarity and relocalization to start to produce locally, what can be produced locally in questioning what are our basic needs and how to reach sustainability around these basic needs should be done in dialogue and in solidarity with other territories. Moreover, climate change and biodiversity loss is creating some chaos and we will need more and more solidarities between the territories. We can see with the large fires that maybe we'll have to host people, maybe we'll have to send food, to send water, to send some basic resources to each other and so on. So open relocalization is about being rational to relocalize what has to be what can be relocalized, there is no, no, it's unmeaningful to produce, to make uh, sheep or tomatoes travel all around the world. And it's about um, reconnecting to the reality, to be uh, an adult and to see what the impact of our choices are in terms of uh, human exploitation and uh, nature destruction. And it's about uh, solidarity. It's Mm -hmm. about uh, doing it in open borders and uh, in, uh, in dialogue with all the people all around the world. Yes.
0: So there are good rational aspects to really take in degrowth thinking. I have to add that we have the beginning of August when we do this recording, so we do just experience large fires in Turkey, in Greece and other countries around the Mediterranean that show catastrophic impacts of um, climate change, of increasing climate change as well. Okay. And I read, read into one of your online articles where I read the headline, get religion out of the economy, freeing ourselves from such addictions. So the problem gets deeper to rational thinking that something needs to change, but it's something that may be as difficult to change as religious belief, as an addiction. Uh, so what is the major challenge to really change our mindset to become something like a people, a pl- people a planners who take in degrowth thinking? <sighs>
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's a new religion of our modern era. We, we 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 think only in economic terms. Right? Economics can be a very interesting uh, tool. Economics is economos. It means uh, a gestion of uh, your home, and it's something very important. But it became a religion. Like if you speak about climate change, you will uh, question how much it will cost. Right? It's not about how much it will cost. It's about how uh, will our children. Uh, have a chance to have a decent life on this planet. So it's about survival and you cannot calculate survival in terms of, of economy. And uh, somehow we, we, we had an interesting experience with the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemics because for the first time for decades, suddenly economics for a very short while was uh, put in a secondary position that we decided to stop the economy to protect our health system, to uh, to protect lives, but it doesn't, it didn't last long, because after we had the type of uh, authoritarian restriction to save the economy again, try to find the balance between the pandemics and, and the economy. And it's, it's the same with um, climate change and biodiversity loss, or all the, the energy and uh, environmental challenges that we face, uh, mainstream economics, mainstream politicians uh, try to say, or try to believe that you can keep on going with economic growth and in the same time save the planet. It's what we call decoupling, it's what we call uh, green growth. Um, and it's something which is unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, impossible. And we are trying to desperately keep on going in this direction. And the GDP is correlated uh, with energy consumption and uh, with um, uh, CO2 uh, emissions. Uh, whatever we do, uh, it's we cannot have a decoupling between both and so on. And Digros is really an invitation to put back the economy in its right place. So I'm talking now from uh, from Budapest. And Budapest was a city of uh, Karl Polanyi because he was uh, a re- he was Hungarian. And Karl Polanyi wrote a, a very fantastic book called uh, The Great Transformation, where he really spoke about that. He really uh, un- tried to understand. He wrote it in 1944, tried to understand the connection between... Uh, this liberal economic system where the market starts to be totally dominant in our imaginary, in our society, and how it drove uh, Europe to the tragedies of the last century. I know it's the same, not with uh, wars, but with climate change and so on. So the question is, to quote Polanyi, how to re-embed the economy. So it's not like against economy, it's about putting back the economy in the right place. So economy could be a fantastic tool if it's... Uh, uh, a tool in in the service of democracy, of politics, and not the contrary. And uh, it's uh, degrows from this perspective: is a radical critics to uh, capitalism, to uh, uh, ultra liberalism, yeah. where we are embedded now. And it's really the question: how to put back the economy in the right place? Uh, so to how to re-question what are meaningful lives and how the economy could be a tool helping us to make the transition out of this. Uh, uh, growth model of society, or addiction to growth, to new models of society based on other type of values and to question what are our basic needs, how to uh, fulfill them in a sustainable and in a desirable way. And you,
0: you yourself are part of a transition of experimentation happening in Budapest with Cargonomia. Can you explain a bit what that is and what you're doing there? And I read that it's about low-tech logistics, about transportation, but about also about food, about community. Can you give us an idea of what it is, what you're doing, and how
1: this this is different? So uh, in Budapest, we had the opportunity. We we started like uh, ten years ago. It was first a, a long process to uh, to design something, and we had the opportunity and uh, to start to to be autonomous and to experience alternative way of life around food, about transportation. Uh, We were lucky. It's not the case so much anymore, the city changed in the last two, three years with the economic development, but we were lucky that uh, there was a very uh, strong network of uh, alternatives, and uh, in particular alternative bars, in which we could develop a lot of workshop and discussion and debate, and in which Uh, people were experiencing, experimenting a lot of different types of uh, low-tech, sustainable ways of life. And uh, we started with uh, different partners, uh, first focusing on food and uh, and in particular organic farming, uh, where we have a farm next to Budapest called Jamboki Biokert, where we produce uh, organic vegetables without using any kind of... uh, uh, fossil entrance, so it's only seasonal, it's only uh, with good technique of composting and a lot of uh, labor and also a lot of uh, uh, sometimes hard work but enjoyment of life and conviviality. Uh, we have two uh, two gardens in Budapest, one in a hill just next to where I am and the Buddha Hills in Shashay, which means the Hill of the Eagles, which is on, based on permaculture and another one which is in cooperation with the municipality of a district of Budapest in Zugló which is more based on uh, urban agroforestry. And all these three projects are really type of pilot projects. So with Cargonomia, we never wanted to grow. We never wanted to transform the the city based on growing our activities, but more in changing the mindset of the people, in showing some example and in sharing the knowledge, in opening debates, in welcoming people and so on. So with that system, we want to show that you can make Budapest again self-sufficient in full production. Uh, like most of the large cities in Europe, and Budapest was maybe one of the last ones to still have this type of self-sufficiency. Till the 1980s, Budapest was self-sufficient in uh, vegetable productions, for example. So we want to push the municipalities, the mindset of the people to go back to such situation. And we connect it with um, logistics and uh, transport. Well, um, we were both the first one. so you're from Netherlands, uh, it's uh, not so sexy in Netherland Netherlands because it's something which is quite well developed, which was not the case in, in, in Hungary in the time we started or in France where I'm from. We started to uh, self-construct cargo bikes and trailers and start to use it to transport a lot of different types of goods, in particular uh, locally produced vegetables and so on. So we had a type of um, uh, pillar, strong pillar with activities and a large network with different types of partners where we could also develop a lot of other types of uh, uh, debates, workshops, discussions, uh, festivals, and so on around degrowth, around low tech, around uh, open relocalization, around ecofeminism, around care, around uh, education, and all these types of things. Uh, unfortunately, the situation is a bit difficult nowadays uh, because uh, Budapest faced a very quick economic development based on masterism uh, in the last five years, and a large part of our partners. Uh, faced economic trouble and have been uh, uh, following type of gentrification uh, dynamics have been pushed out so even they closed or they, they moved to uh, the syrups and so on so we lost a bit with uh, informal type of very uh, intense network within the city centre of Budapest and uh, also we suffered a lot from uh, uh, the COVID-19 uh, uh, restrictions because our activities were really based on uh, human interaction and conviviality. And when you are uh, uh, when you, uh, confined at home, it's very difficult to have uh, informal solidarities and so on. So now we are a bit like in a transition time and we start to rethink and to relaunch a project based on uh, the uncertainty uh, COVID is offering and also based on uh, how the, the, the city changes. Uh, last but not least, the Budapest elected a green mayor uh, two years ago. Uh, with uh, quite with quite close to our IDs and a, a good friend from uh, of some of us and we have a lot of friends you now in a lot of uh, uh, district uh, municipalities uh, but it's also very difficult and it's also something we should, uh, I'm working a lot uh, based on also around the municipalist movement, it's very difficult um, uh, to organize this type of low-tech degrowth way of life in large cities in working with type of uh, institution and organization which are based on much more larger institution and bureaucratic infrastructure mm-hmm. and so on. And here there is a debate and we are also experimenting, only in Budapest in a lot of cities, and it's a debate, it's a type of discussion, for example, I have with Zagreb, who just elected also a Green Mayor, mm-hmm. how to reconnect a local life with a large infrastructure and um, bureaucratic institution and uh, how to organize uh, the transition uh, around all these type
0: of things. So you have quite some experience in working together with the municipality, with politicians, with uh, public officials, uh, looking towards the future. Would you have any any hopes, any wishes or also demands towards uh, municipalities? What kind of support is really needed uh, or where is the largest challenge to overcome to uh, really support initiatives such as yours?
1: I, I really believe, and I've been working a lot on that, that we should um find a way to uh, disconnect uh our freedom and the need to to make bullshit jobs to rethink the economy and liberating time so i uh, i've been working a lot on uh, sharing hours for work uh, that uh, work less to give a chance to everybody to have a job and in working less you also uh, provide more free time to the people to start to be uh active in the local initiatives and i really believe in in a uh, bottom-up, uh, grassroots movements and so on. The second point could be the implementation of type of unconditional basic income. In our book, we develop the idea of unconditional autonomy allowance, which would be a type of basic income, which would be uh, 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 given not only in cash but also in uh, in uh, free access to uh, public services, or some goods and so on. And in doing so, you Give the freedom to the people to reappropriate free time and also to rethink, um, to rethink in a democratic way, in a deliberative way. What are our basic needs and how to fulfill them locally in a sustainable and fair way? Um, and uh, last but not least, I really believe in the logic of the commons, where we should implement type of cooperation with a, a public institution to rethink public-private property and to uh, give the opportunity to local citizens to reappropriate spaces uh, and to to, uh, experiment type of self-organized spaces. It's uh, what you can see all around the world. There are interesting dynamics. I think about, for example, Thierry in France, where you have more and more self-organized public spaces given to citizens or organizations to do different types of activities. It's what we had the opportunity to do in Budapest in the time where real estate was... uh, very uh, cheap, where uh, local citizens could reappropriate appropriate large spaces to experiment alternative way of life. And I really believe in the power of uh, um, uh, collective intelligence. And I think uh, nowadays, what could be, and uh, now I'm addressing a bit to planners, uh, we should be influenced by uh, experiences of uh, direct democracy uh, projects. Uh, for example, in France, we just have the Citizen Convention for Climate, uh, where 150 citizens were uh, uh, randomly chosen and w- had one year to uh, reflect on how to implement radical transformation of economies uh, to face climate change, but also in uh, respecting social justice. And they ended up with something very radical, very smart, with 150 proposals, quite close to the proposal we have in our book, uh, exploring degrowth and in general in, in degrowth and so on. And it shows that if you provide the right uh, space for citizens uh, and you trust them to question what, what are their basic needs and how to fulfill them in a meaningful way, what are the environmental challenges, energetic challenges, and how to deal with them in, um, in implementing solutions which are much more like uh, uh, radical transformation of our institution, of our society and so on, you end up with very meaningful solution. And I think it's something, and I'm pushing for that. We did it in Budapest. For example, I'm pushing it also in Zagreb, and I have some friends in the new municipality. A lot of uh, cities in France also started to implement it, to implement this type of citizen convention, questioning what are meaningful life and how to implement it and how to organize a transition. Thank you. Yeah, I think that very well connects to planning as much
0: of planning is somehow oriented towards action, about also changing things, making things happen. Um, though, of course, it remains challenging to change the mindset that's behind us. So to get a bit towards the end, uh, what would be your summary about post growth planning? So if I asked you to finish the sentence,
1: post growth planning is. Recently a very good friend told me that uh, degrowth can simply be substituted by democracy both starts with d and i think the main challenge of our society nowadays is really to rethink democracy we uh, we can see that uh, we have this contradiction on one, on one hand the democratic system which is uh, limited to uh, mostly limited to uh, the representative democratic tools which can be meaningful and useful for certain type of uh, democratic decision is dysfunctional. There is rising discredit, lack of trust um, on our democratic institution, on political parties. The political parties are usually more and more like uh, empty uh, empty entities and so on. There is no strong participation in this model. Like uh, in France, we got the shock in the last uh, uh, local regional uh, elections. Uh, There was a record of uh, uh, abstention in time where people are based on a lot of surveys and, and polls, are more and more concerned by politics. So you have this gap between the will to have more democracy and type of political institution which are not working anymore. So we need the type of creativity uh, to involve more and more the people uh, in in planning, in uh, how to rethink, how to organize a transition uh, in our society. And we need even more uh, participation because when you want to implement type of radical transformation, which will mean uh, stress, which will mean uh, questioning type of inequalities, which will mean maybe questioning type of uh, property in, and redistribution, it will create even more conflicts. It will create even more tension. So the only way to do it in a, in a non-violent way, and it's necessary to implement it, the only way to do it in the less violent way where as much as possible would be to uh, be creative and to involve as much as, much as possible the people in, uh, in dialogue towards that. So I think that the emergency is to slow down and to invent type of uh, political entity where people could meet and uh, reflect together on where we are and where do we want to go together. Thank you, Vincent. So I see there is, there is urgency, there is emergency, but
0: there is also hope, there is ways how things can change. This also reminds me to one sentence by Jason Hickel in the f- uh, foreword to your book. We know that a better world is not only possible, it is waiting to be born. Yeah. So in that and sense,
1: I hope we can all together be part of this birth in the, the upcoming time. And I would say it's already here. If we look uh, with other type of glasses, we can see that there are a lot of uh, uh, great things already happening in our everyday life, in our societies. And we should put the focus on all these type of things and give them a chance to, to be more visible and give a chance to the people who maybe have less chance to, to be active in it, to get the opportunity to, to also reappropriate some uh, more enjoyment of life in a sustainable and meaningful way. Okay. Thanks
0: again, Vincent Liégev, for uh, joining me today, for sharing your thoughts. And uh, let's keep on discussing this and also taking action. Thanks, Christian.
1: Bye.